0: Uh, hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. Uh, so, my name is Ana Gouveia, and today I have a, a very special guest, that is Lauren <laughs> Howard, and uh, we'll be talking about uh, uh, racism and mental health. I did two other podcasts on this subject, Uh podcast on mental health and racism, and then I did an interview with a Brazilian actress, uh, a Black uh, Brazilian actress on uh, racism and mental health. And today I have the pleasure to have Lauren Howard here. And before um, we start, I would like to introduce Lauren. Um uh, I invited Lauren because I think that she is the brightest kid that I've ever met. Oh, and uh, <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, Lauren studied with my daughter. And I remember that my daughter was starting, <laughs> starting with the Bob books, I think. Right. Bat, Matt. And uh, and Lauren was reading newspapers already when she was four or um, five. <laughs> I don't know if that's all true, but thank you. <laughs> yes, it is. So... Uh, uh, Laurie is a 15-year-old. Uh, she's an African-American. Her parents are Jamaican. She's going uh, to 10th grade now at Ramson Everglades. Uh, Laurie is, is part of the National Speech and Debate Honor Society. Uh, she is going to be uh, doing sp- uh, speeches on or- original oratory on height discrimination in a program of oral interpretation on Black education, Last year, she served on a student government. She plays volleyball and soccer. She plays uh, in a club soccer all year around. Uh, she's a member of two different charities, organizations, a Soccer Life Foundation and uh, 20 Little Working Girls. She was part of a band that raised money for, uh, for uh, relief efforts and, uh, of course, she has been in academic honor rolls uh, through her middle uh, school and high school years. So, as you can see, Lauren is pretty special. <laughs> and I think that she's a very good uh, person to talk about what's going on in this country now and about the future, right? Uh, if there is any hope or not. So uh, my first question, Laurie, is uh, you are an African-American teenager in the United States in 2020. How do you feel when you watch the news about police brutality? How did you feel after the news of George Floyd's murder?
1: Um, so as um privy of one of the events that I do in speech and debate, I have to read and watch a lot of news especially a lot of objective news. Mm -hmm. So when I saw this and, you know, when I caught wind of this, I found it to be just honestly another day in the society. And I know that sounds cynical and grim, but if you think about it, racism isn't new, it's just being recorded. And so when I saw this, I was like, okay, it happened again, but it also happened last week, probably happened yesterday, but this time there was a recording. So I honestly feel that if we are to make a change, and I know that we are completely capable, um, it won't be as much a change based on this particular murder or how that particular murder made anyone feel, but more how it's been affecting people over the years.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think that what was different in, in, in this specific case was not only that it was recorded, right, but it was uh, the demeanor of the a police officer, right, with his hands on his pockets while he was basically killing a guy, right. So there was, uh, uh, there was some cruelty, in, I think, in this murder. That I think that uh, that's what touched people uh, in this case, right? Do you agree, or you think that a hundred
1: percent? Um, The nonchalance um, with which he conducted himself in that particular scenario, I found that to be completely obscene. Even if he did do everything by the book, he just was so nonchalant and he was so ready to kill. It didn't seem as if he had any moral issue with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the police system in general um, doesn't teach, you know, cruelty as much as it doesn't. I don't think he was well vetted enough because I feel like there might be um, a serious psychosis, some sociopathic issues, something to that to that effect. Because he was, his face was emotionless. Mm-hmm. So I find that the, in this particular scenario, like yes, we're seeing someone who um, was extremely nonchalant, very indifferent, but in a lot of scenarios you'll see a lot more emotion on a police officer's face when they're committing police brutality and not necessarily remorse but um anger um and they're enraged they're indignant and that's the way that they were conducting themselves but considering the fact that this officer um was so indifferent i feel like it hit a little a little closer to home for a lot of people
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and uh, uh this this uh this murder right the george floyd's murder uh was you know more or less a wake-up call for lots of uh, people right and uh you see now uh, i don't know for example i follow helen degeneres uh, on instagram and i see people trying to make a difference right trying to uh make a difference with all the hashtags right that all these black lives be, be, basically at the end of the day they just become hashtags right and yeah to to make this less of a hashtag but more like a, what can we really do right
1: 100 percent. okay i find it to be um and oftentimes not just with the black lives matter movement but and you can actually see this with i don't know if you particularly know this term but it's called a disco girl where they basically put a um very hyper persona very what is considered basic um to us teens (laughs) um persona around what was actually a really important climate change movement they were there was this um there is still this movement called save the turtles and it prevents people from using disposable plastic single-use single-use plastics but um it became associated with some kind of trend and I feel mm-hmm. like oftentimes a lot of movements lose steam and lose um I wouldn't say relevance as much as poignance when it becomes a trend mm-hmm. and when it be- as it becomes a hashtag people believe that they're doing just enough by posting something on social media when it really is much deeper
0: than that mm-hmm Yes, and uh, it's much deeper than, 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 than that, right? And uh, uh, what do you think that uh, it has to be done so that uh, real, real change happens? Um, I think
1: the way that change comes about um, and way, the way it has come about over the years, it comes in a lot of different forms. For real systemic change to happen, I feel like the protests are grabbing attention. And when they are provoked and pushed to become violent, because I don't think that's anyone's full intention, if they really do care about the movement, um, when they do become violent, it does take um, a little bit, of, more than a little bit, away from the movement itself. And I think that if people are to stick with more peaceful practices and you know, to rally for themselves, to advocate for themselves, Um, whether it be with state senators, congressmen. It's not that difficult to reach out to people in this day and age. And as difficult as it may seem, maybe your voice doesn't make a difference or that's what you believe. When there are multiple people um, really fighting for change, especially in legislation, these are real people that sit in the House of Representatives that are senators. These are real people. And at some point, with enough volume, they will listen to you because something does need to happen. And I'm sure that um, anybody with
0: a true understanding of what's going on um, realizes that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just happened with Brianna, right? That they weren't uh, open a case. And I think now because people uh, uh, wrote to to... The district attorney, it seems that they are opening an investigation, right?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, A lot of people enter professions like the police force, um, prosecution, you know, district attorney's assistant, U.S. attorneys, um, and just um, government fields to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so, whether the system itself be corrupt or not, and I personally believe that there is an air of corruption which is. Um, hindering efforts, to say the least. um I do think that when you reach out, it will get to the right people, and change will be affected. So I do think, in the case of Breonna Taylor, when there are enough human beings speaking about the loss of a life of someone they may may or may not have known, or they could have met later on in life had she not died, I think that really appeals to the humanity
0: of these people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh- Then a personal question. Did you ever experience racism or microaggressions? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um,
1: I do um, (laughs) go out of the house on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes um, I don't think a lot of people realize what can be perceived as a microaggression. I think it's more a result of racial insensitivity. And I don't think that I've truly experienced Um, an occurrence where someone was just blatantly racist to me or being malicious to me in any way, shape or form. But sometimes, you know, you'll get the comment, can I touch your hair? No, you cannot touch my hair. You have your own. Mm -hmm. But, um, or the comment, this one I get pretty often, the I'm almost as black as you. That is false.
0: Um, (laughs) <laughs> what, what do you mean with, with people that are white are saying I don't understand
1: yeah there are a lot of white people Latin people and they have darker complexions mm-hmm. they just have more melanin in them but their race is still essentially um, Caucasian mm-hmm. or Hispanic mm-hmm. and they say I'm almost as black as you and I'm and honestly what goes through my mind is when you're as black as me then you understand and realize the struggle
0: mm-hmm
1: of being black and there are struggles that come with the territory whether you be lgbt um jewish hispanic and i recognize your struggles but i'm not going to tell you that i am able to empathize when i cannot because i never went through Mm -hmm. so when someone says i'm almost as black as you i am like far from it Mm -hmm. but uh thank you
0: (laughs) do you you think that people recognize That there is white privilege?
1: Um, I think that anybody who is willing to recognize, recognizes it. And I think the people that aren't willing to recognize also recognize it. The people that say, oh, white privilege doesn't exist. They have acknowledged white privilege um, and they've seen it. And that is why they've gone to such lengths to combat it. The people that say, I don't see color. I feel like they believe they're saying the right thing. But when someone doesn't see color, they don't see the aggression, they don't see the disparity in how they're being treated. Um, So people like those, I don't, I feel like that mentality, the I don't see color mentality kind of takes away from them being able to see their own white privilege. But then there are people that identify with white privilege within themselves, but go to such great lengths to um, eradicate it from their minds by saying, oh, Um, someone else was also killed by the police and he was white or there are more white people killed by the police than black people and yes there are but there are many more um, white people in the United States of America and black people are being killed at disproportionate rates Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so
1: I feel like people using statistics that they don't truly understand to justify um, a lack of white privilege I find that they are They know that white privilege exists, but they're going to the ends of the earth using the most arbitrary um, statistics or, quote unquote, facts to justify what they're saying.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm asking you this because when I was doing my master to be a mental health counselor, we have to do a course on multiculturalism. Right. And uh, my professor was uh, an African-American. And uh, one day she was uh, discussing racism and she was talking about white privilege. And uh, I remember and I I can't forget this. It's uh, she asked the class, uh, so what do you think about white privilege? And there were lots of people. So two big counselors that said, oh, I don't think that there is white privilege. Oh, I've never felt white privilege. And I think that it is the same, you know, it's just the matter of having the right opportunities. And then I was shocked. I was completely shocked. And this professor had to explain what, what white privilege means on a daily basis. And I was really, really shocked that people do not understand that uh, white privilege is there 24-7, right? Yeah, uh,
1: 100%. Um, may I add something really quickly?
0: Yes, of course.
1: Um I think they said that they don't feel their own white privilege, but if they were to put themselves in the shoes of a black person, they'd be able to feel the lack of privilege. So they may think their daily life is um, normal because it is normal to them because their white privilege is normal to them. Mm -hmm. So if they don't make a conscious effort to realize the disparity, then they're not going to see it. Mm -hmm. And in conjunction with that, um, when you're... in the position of the disadvantaged, you see that you want to look into the history of why you have the disadvantage. Mm-hmm. White privilege was, is rooted in many years of systemic inequality and like from redlining, which in a sense is still practiced today, not giving people equal opportunity for loans and mortgages, um, mm-hmm. schools being funded by income taxes of, and property taxes, my apologies. Um, you're going to see the disparity when you're in the position of the disadvantaged as opposed to the
0: advantaged. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what was impressive for me is that uh, these people would be counselors, right? So, uh, I mean, a counselor need to have empathy. That's exactly put yourself in other people's shoes, right? And, uh, and for me, it was amazing that these people couldn't understand that the way that if they enter an elevator is different. If you are white or black, if you go to Target, it's different. Everything that you do on a database is different, right? Because yeah, because people are not looking at your skin color, right? When you enter in the elevator, if you're white, but if you are black, they will be judging you, right? Yeah, um, it's actually
1: proven that when you turn in a job application, they don't even need to see that you're African-American, if you're um, Hispanic, if you're Caucasian. When they receive the job application and someone is named, say, um, Justin, which is... A name that could be used among multiple races as opposed to someone named Jamal they're more quick to turn down the Mm -hmm. um, application from someone with a more African-American name Mm -hmm. and they don't see that it's happening because it happens behind the scenes they think oh I was more qualified but whether or not that's true is something that they'll never know because they weren't there for it Mm mm-hmm Yes, and sometimes yes. it's an implicit bias. People don't say, "Oh, that name sounds African American." They say, "No, that name sounds unqualified" even though they do have the credentials, but their implicit bias leads them to think otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And uh Laurie, uh you you quite often you are in environments, for example, your school, right? That are predominantly white. How is it to be a minority in these environments?
1: Um everywhere I go, I'm a minority, Mm -hmm. I um, took it upon myself to look at the demographic of of the school that I go to, and it is nearly 45, well, not even 45, 45, as much as it's predominantly white. I could say almost 50%, but I wouldn't push it that far.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it also has a very um, high percentage of Hispanic people that attend the school, with 7% of the students being Asian and 5% of the students being Black. Mm -hmm. In my grade, we had one Black male student who has moved to a different um, state and is no longer at the school. So now we have no Black male students in my grade. We have six Black students in my grade, including myself, and they are all female. Mm -hmm. And when you enter an environment like this and you know, it took a little bit of digging and a little bit of counting, a little bit of math for me to figure out the fact that I am such a minority in my school. And I honestly, at a point, did not realize it because I wanted to believe otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people aren't afforded the same opportunities. I go to a private school, so you need to have um, a pretty decent and stable income to attend. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like a lot of... Um, African-American people could attend the school based solely on academic credentials. But the um, matter of fact is um, that many African-American students do have the credentials but don't have the requisite funds to attend the school. So when they don't have enough money to attend the school, the school isn't going to say, oh, let me just let in every single person that is smart enough to go here because the school would be overpopulated.
0: hmm
1: and I find it really sad that a lot of people can't get the same opportunities. And it's not even from a socio standpoint, but the economic component
0: of socioeconomic that is hindering their growth. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But uh, does this have an impact on your life? I mean, in the sense of, uh, do you f- do you, of course, you feel different, right? But how is yeah. this, I feel different in your life?
1: So the I feel different um, stemmed within my middle school, high school career, my Ransom Everglades mm-hmm. um, career, um, stemmed from the first time my history teacher spoke about transatlantic slavery. Mm-hmm. And everybody's eyes went to me. I said, I did not come over on the slave ships. Why are you looking at me? Mm-hmm. And yes, I have ancestors who um, were enslaved, and that's a tragedy, and I wish it didn't happen, but it is a part of my history. That does not mean that I need to be isolated and looked at as some kind of spectacle because that happened many, many years ago. And now, I'm not saying that we don't deserve recognition for having been the byproducts of such an atrocity, but, and by the byproduct, I mean the racism, um, of such an atrocity, but rather to just understand that we're different, but not stare at me the entire time because that makes me slightly uncomfortable, naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. And even in the literature that I read in school, it is seldom that I'll find a black character. And I, because I'm working on the program on black education, I've been doing research on the type of education that um, people in school receive. And oftentimes the main character is white or Hispanic, but just not Black. And when I looked into why this was, it was because Black books don't sell. Mm-hmm. And I'm still at this moment in time wondering, why is that? There could be a multitude of reasons why Black books don't sell, sell even though there is such a richness in history. Mm-hmm. And I think the implicit bias, once again, has
0: something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, uh, I mean, when I said that you are the brightest kid that I've ever met, I really meant it, right? So uh, uh, I'm serious. So uh, you were you are brilliant, right? And and then you are in, the, in, in, in this in this classroom, and you are probably above average, right? You are you are, you are probably a straight A student. Uh, and you don't need to prove any anything to anybody right but at the yeah. same time there is the color of your skin right so do you yeah. feel like people think that oh uh, uh oh you are doing great for uh, for being a, an african american do you feel this type of microaggression oh yeah definitely
1: um sometimes people are just trying to be nice and i'm they're like considering that oh, that's happened you're doing great like no i get straight a's because i
0: i work for them i get straight a's because i put in the work and but i mean you are a pretty confident person right uh and but i'd like to think so <laughs> <laughs> i think that you are pretty confident but uh uh in terms of mental health, right, we know that uh, research shows that uh, systemic racism, my- microaggressions create what we call internalized racism, right? So, um, let me explain to people that don't know it. So uh, you start kind of uh, internalizing this idea that you are less than, right? That you're inferior. Yeah. And then, of course, this is going to have an impact on your self-esteem, on your self-worth, right? If you are an African-American, you, you do high school and say, oh, it's okay. I did high school. That's great. I mean, I don't need to go to college. It's pretty good for uh, for, for what I am, right? So like yeah. this internalized racism. Uh I, I don't believe that this has an impact on, on you, right? Because you're a pretty confident person. You can... I mean,
1: yes. it, it's changed. I've become um, more accepting of myself, and it's not that one day I was like, I want to be white, as much as, even I've grown up in such a modern time, where the media is represent- representing a lot more black people, but I grew up watching Hannah Montana, I grew up watching Wizards of Waverly, Waverly Place, and I see white characters, I see hispanic characters i don't see too many characters that look like me so you know i go through elementary school wishing my hair was blonde or straight or something to that effect and it's not that i'm like oh i want to be white just i want to look like the pretty person on tv you know wow really okay yeah it yeah. happens
0: <laughs> wow wow okay so but d- Okay so it so what you're saying basically is that it it had an effect on on your self-esteem but nowadays how is it is it better
1: Oh it's all good now I okay. actually leaned further into my blackness rather than and it's not that I was consciously suppressing it at any time but I realized that who I am is who I am is my identity
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the fact that I'm black is not only you know just a fact but rather an asset and a part of the rich culture and history that I come from and um as i get older and i learn more about black history
0: so you were saying that uh um, you are ex- more accepting of of the fact that you are black right since you, are, you have been yeah, studying yeah
1: not only accepting but i embrace it and it's mm-hmm. not like i ever I just thought of it as another thing, just another thing I'm black like prior to now. And I now embrace my differences as opposed to um, trying to look like the person on TV. And it wasn't because that person was white, but rather that was what people saw as pretty.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and uh uh it's interesting that you're saying this because i i've always thought that you were kind of above this you know because i always yeah. had this impression that you were so confident and i always thought oh Lori is above all of this but it had an impact on your self-esteem it's uh, okay not yeah it definitely did just for okay. from a subconscious standpoint
1: because you know i was young i was you know, between the ages of three and 10 years old, maybe eh, nine years old. Mm-hmm. And that was before the media was really being not saturated as much as just um, um, there's more prevalent black characters in the media on TV. Um, and, you know, your, inst- your regular old Instagram influencer um, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you'd see and, Once you get to more platforms and you get to watch um, more TV, you get to see more news, you see um, figures, powerful figures that look like you. And you're like, that is a pretty human being. That's a gorgeous human being. And you're like, okay, this isn't the only, there isn't one ideal of beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like knowing that and seeing that was what really just helped me to fully embrace myself it's not that I ever disliked myself at some point but rather to really just love myself even more than I did before
0: okay okay and do you know people that do you know people that you can see that this uh uh, internalized racism do uh, have a real impact in their self-esteem
1: yeah there are people like that there are people who still to this day even with more prevalent, powerful Black people in the media, they're still going to, you know, try to adhere to um, Western beauty standards, European beauty standards. Um, There's a practice called skin bleaching, which I've seen less of um, in recent years. But when I was younger, around eight, nine years old, once again, I'd go to the grocery store, I'd go to the mall, and I'd see a black woman who has really ash-colored skin tone, really washed out. And I'd ask my parents, I'm like, what's going on? And they'd be like, she's bleaching her skin. And I'd be like, why would you do that? It sounds painful. And it's basically to achieve what is as close to perceived whiteness. And I feel like the fact that people still do that today says something about, um, how black people are being portray- portrayed relative to white people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- th- that, th- that goes to my last question, right? So what is the message of your generation? How can this society change? And do you have hope that things will change? Oh,
1: 100% hopeful. Even more than hopeful, I really feel like I can count on Gen Z, Generation Z, millennials Mm -hmm. even this um posture that is posed towards activism has become more and more prevalent as people get younger and younger you see eight-year-old girls marching in the streets talking about no justice no peace those people are going to grow older and they're going to become speakers um of the house um they're going to become house representatives they're going to become senators maybe even president it's people like that people that see change and they see it, but they can't grasp it. It's not tangible to them yet, but they're working their hardest to make it become that tangible thing. And I, for one, believe that I am one of those people who want to see change and are just looking for any possible way to bring it about. Of course, peacefully. So I am extremely hopeful. And I think that Generation Z and millennials and any
0: generation following that
1: Really, gonna carry us along that home stretch,
0: hopefully. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is less uh, 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 prejudice, less racism uh, in this generation? Um, there's less racism within the generation for sure. Okay. Um, or at least less
1: genera- um, racism that isn't generational because people, especially young people, will still um, regurgitate what their parents have taught them. And when people start to form their own opinions I think that people will see that there is a disparity in how they're being treated but not a disparity in how they were created Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and when people are beginning to realize that and form their own political and social justice related beliefs um, I think
0: we'll have much less racist and much more just society Mm -hmm. and uh, I mean do you think that your generation will be voting more often (laughs) oh yeah Okay. You
1: should hear the people at my school, the seniors at my school. They're like about, I think it was 4 million 17-year-olds turned 18 before the election.
0: So, okay, okay, we'll see, we'll see a little swing. Yes, yes, yes. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, thank you very much. Uh, do you still plan to be a, a neurosurgeon? Cardiothoracic now. Oh, trying to okay. work on the heart
1: and lungs, yeah. but still surgery.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, maybe president, you know?
1: Maybe. I don't think it's for me,
0: though. <laughs> well,
1: I will do. Well, I'll try to make a difference.
0: Yeah. The operating room. <laughs> you are already making a difference, Lori. Uh, thank, thank you very, very much. Uh, no, thank you for I, having I, me. I really appreciate that you, 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 you came here to, to talk about, about this, because I know that it's a difficult topic to talk about too, right? Because I mean, because you go through this on a daily basis, right?